Deuteronomy chapter 32. I'm going to talk about music, song, and then death. Maybe that's just the way it's written. And we're going to see how those things are connected this evening. And um, just by way of introduction, chapter 32, the song of Moses, is not a worship song and it's not about worship, but because it's about music and God, of course, we're going to be speaking about it while, as we go through. So it's going to be, you're going to have to have a trained ear this evening between our exegesis of the test. That's just a fancy college word that means, you know, we're going to be learning what the Bible says here, what the text says. And then we're going to intersperse it with some talk about worship. We're going to talk about some observations, and then we're going to apply it to ourselves. So with that being said, let's go before the Lord in prayer this evening once again and just affirm our other introductory prayers this evening that he would continue to speak to us. Lord, we thank you that your word never, never returns void. And we pray that you would be washing us with that water of your word this evening, that you would be speaking to us, there'd be a moving of your Holy Spirit, that you would empower the teaching of your word. And as you write it on the tablets of our hearts, you bring it to remembrance, Lord, as we walk it out in our day-to-day lives, in Jesus' name, amen. So we just finished the last chapter, chapter 31, and it says that Moses spoke all those things in the hearing, and then he wrote and sang this song. Verse 1, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herbs and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? And so you're going to see a couple of different transitions. First, Moses starts to speak of himself, And he's identifying heaven, he's identifying the people of Israel and God, and he's connecting those three different things. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But we're also seeing here, he then starts to speak to Israel about God. And later in this chapter, we're going to see him, the Lord's going to speak through him through the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be speaking uh, from God as the first person. The Lord's going to speak through him directly. And here we see what we have always seen throughout Deuteronomy and throughout Moses' life, that he is the intercessor. He is interceding between God and the people of Israel. And God is speaking to him, and then he speaks to the people, and then the people have these reactions. They speak to Moses. Moses brings it to God. And we know that Moses is a type of the law. He is not a savior, but he is also a type of Jesus and that Jesus is our great high priest. He is our intercessor. Today, there is no intercessor except for Christ Jesus himself. No one comes to the Father except through him. And there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Um, This is going to be important a little bit later as we start uh, applying this. Now, that being said, we're going to go through this text verse by verse, 
section by section. But we are already seeing in this song more biblical content, more God-honoring content than dozens and dozens and dozens of so-called worship songs. Now, that being said about something that was being said, I want to also be careful because God does not criticize the simple song either. It's about that heart of worship. But it's far more important that when we are singing songs to God, because he is the audience when it comes to worship, and that, that adoration and that praise, that he is the audience and that he is the topic. He is the subject. Many worship songs today, there's the word I is so much in them. And that's not always bad, but when it is the primary focus, we are showing the issue itself. The issue itself is that we have become the consumer instead of the producer. See, we're not the ones that are supposed to be entertained. When we have worship in a worship service, we are to be sacrificing the praises of our lips. We're to be dedicating ourselves in song, and we're offering that to the Lord. Now, when we talk about intercession, the Bible tells us that as New Testament believers, we are a kingdom of priests through the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We have become what the nation of Israel was supposed to be. Remember when Moses came down from the t with the tablets, he threw them down. They were offering unto an idol and they they put a line in the sand. And they were in rebellion. And it was after that rebellion that they were no longer allowed to be priests. Only the Levites were because they went to the other side of that line and said, no, we will follow after God. And then, uh, you know, it's not very nice, but it's the judgment of God. They whooped out their swords and killed thousands of unbelievers and pagans. They were their brothers and sisters. I just threw that one out there for funsies. But what we see is that honoring God is of utmost importance. And if we dare come and say this is a worship song, then we need to bring that worship to the Lord, and it needs to honor the Lord the way the Lord wants to be honored. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I want to put another disclaimer there, because there are many that will rightfully bash this uh, so-called Christian worship that becomes self-centered entertainment. The lasers and smoke and self-centeredness and the critiquing of skill over the emphasis of the heart. But in doing so, they want to throw away anything that isn't a uh, fourth century hymn that doesn't have 13 pages of doctrine in it. Because they go to one extreme to the other. I have never sang a song more passionately then this is the air I breathe when it was the first song I ever was able to play on a guitar. There's only like seven lines in that worship song. I'll spare you. My worship days, <laughs> we hide them behind the worship team. But, but I sang that song. I sang that song so many times. Ask my wife how many times I sang that song over and over and over and over again. But I had just gotten saved, and I, I was so passionate about God. I had God in my life. He saved me. I was free from my sins. I was dedicated to him. I knew I wanted to serve him, but that was the only song I knew how to sing. And I sang it with passion. I sang it with gusto. I sang it with zeal. I sang it over and over again until, praise God, I did start to learn another song or two. But what do we see? 
I, like I said, there's only five or six verses there. Do you think that the Lord was honored with that song? I think absolutely he was honored with that song. So we don't want to go to one extreme or to the other. We want to be focused on the Lord. Now, going back to the text, this message is from the Holy Spirit speaking through Moses. So we have to be doubly careful because I'm going to spe- we're going to talk today about worship and singing and um, being producers and not consumers when it comes to our relationship with God. But we have to be crystal clear. This is the spoken word of God that is coming through Moses. This is a unique situation. With that, let's read verses 7 through 18 as he continues this song. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. Verse 10. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle steers up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. Verse 13. He made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds from the cattle and milk of the flock with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat and you drank wine, the blood of the grapes. Verse 15. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat and you grew thick. You were are obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. Well, first, I want to point out some interesting things. In verse 15, but Jeshurun, that is another name for Israel. That's a title. Uh, It literally means the upright one. That's what that means. And I always find it fascinating when you hear Israel's names and they're praiseworthy or they're positive. It is usually followed in scripture by all of their sins, their fallen nature, the worshiping of false gods and their pagan idols. And they're, what does it say here? Being unmindful of the rock who begot you and forgotten the God who fathered you, it says in verse 18. So it says, oh, you upright one. How right are you? So sarcasm, spiritual sarcasm is there. Obviously, I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but it is clearly spoken of. It says here in another portion that they were worshiping to gods. And it says in verse 17, they sacrifice to demons. Wow. I want to remind you, this is a song. Talking about this song in its context, this is the song of the nation of Israel. They're to be singing this year after year, generation to generation, to remind them 
how good God is and how rebellious their fathers are. That's their history. And we're going to take a side tangent here where we talk about the history of the South. We should stop erasing it. We should not be glorifying the nastiest, worst parts. There is a, there is a portion of our history in decades past where it was being glorified. It was, they added nostalgia to it. No. But to erase it all is to forget the lessons that so many died and endured for us to learn. We should be showing both sides. We should be showing when we glorified it, and then we should be showing the disclaimers for it. Instead, they're trying to erase all of our history. There's another agenda for that. It's from the evil one. But we see here that this song is to constantly take the nation of Israel and bring them back. Now, I think that this is a very, very wise way. We remember in my family our family's history. Unfortunately, they learn it through nagging. Like when my kids throw food away, they, like I, must hear of the winter of 1945 when my Dutch family was starving to death. And I'm going to tell that same story, and I'm going to use the same tone of voice that my grandparents used speaking about our family. My family is going to be nagged about my Filipino mother-in-law and the sacrifices that they made to come to the United States, and they're going to hear about what it's like in the Philippines and how, how spoiled my children are. Kind of like, what is that? Doesn't it say that somewhere here in the text? Something about being, verse 15, Jeshurun, the upright one, what, did, what does it say? Grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. And because of that, it says, then you forsook God. You were so blessed, you stopped serving God. There was a, uh, a secular movie, and in that movie, there's a, a line, and the line is what I wanted to pick out. There's a guy, he's, entered, he's uh, auditioning to try and be a, a famous musician, sings a song. It's okay. But the guy who is interviewing him, the guy who's uh, watching the audition says, you mean to tell me? That if you were dying in a gutter and that's the last song you would ever sing, that's the one you would pick and that's how you would sing it. When we are hurting, when we are starving, when we are in pain, our prayers to God, our songs to God, our worship to God is completely different. But when we are as blessed as we are now, when things are going well, when there's food in the pantry, entertainment on the television and in the cell phone and everything's going good, yeah, yeah, and that's just showing our nature. And I'm I'm so grateful to God that He is so um, compassionate. Even in His judgment, He will never leave us nor forsake us because of the righteousness of His Son. And so we're going to go back to our earlier topic this evening. When we're coming to worship, when we're connecting to God, when heaven is the audience. What is it that we're focusing on when we sing? Is it tone or tempo, inflection, how loud, how, how bright the lights are, how dark the lights are? There is discernment. We do need to be discerning when it comes to the content. Is this honoring God or not? Is he, we know he's looking on the heart. He's looking on our souls. He is not as entertained with, really really skillfully played music 
Now, that being said, those that are worship leaders need to be concerned with being skilled because they do not want to become a distraction. And for the weak brothers and sisters, that is a extreme distraction. For them, if everything's not exactly right, they're not going to be able to pick up on it. That's what the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians with meat offered unto idols. We need to defer to the weaker brethren. But what's dangerous is when the mature Christian, the one who says, well, this is not real worship. Well, obviously, this was not in the key of D minor sharp flat. There's no such thing. <laughs> obviously, this wasn't in the 816th tempo. Doesn't exist. And becomes a connoisseur. You are not the critic. God is. God is. He is the focus. And when we come to worship together, we are here to connect with the Lord. And we're here to offer sacrifices of praise. The other danger, again, before we go back to the text, is worship leaders can get in love with worshiping. This is dangerous. You begin to hear things like, well, I can't really worship unless I'm on the worship team, or I can't really do it this way unless it's like that, or this, or that's just all utter nonsense. When you become, when you become, when you become, when you fall in love with the worship, you are taking your eyes off whom you are worshiping. We should be able to worship with the same connection and passion in our shower as we should in the church. That is, I am not being um, irreverent when I say that. Because wherever your feet are is the presence of the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When Moses, 40 years earlier, was standing before the, the burning bush, and the burning bush spoke to him, the Lord speaking through it, and said, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. What made it holy? It was that God was there. But it's a bush. It is a bush. Emphasis on it is a bush. But is it more special than the temple? When the temple with its gold plates, with the pillars, with the lavern, with the incense and the offering, the table of showbread, with the curtain, with the Ark of the Covenant there? Is that more holy? No. Because it's the presence of God that is important. It is connecting with God. And we can do that through Jesus Christ because the veil has been torn. There is no separation. We have access. We come boldly to the throne of grace, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, through Jesus Christ, wherever we go. So I'm not being irreverent. What I'm also inferring is that we can be, if not emphasis on, irreverent here. In the quote-unquote place of worship, we can become irreverent. We need to be very careful in understanding that although we do come to the throne boldly as Christ instructs us to, even though he says, I no longer call you servant, but call you friend. He's our he's our brother. He's our father. He's our Lord. He's our friend. He knows us greater than a brother. He he's counted every hair on our head. He is the king of all creation, the Alpha and the Omega. Do you not know who you are speaking to? We, we have to understand that when we are connecting with God in the throne room, 
We are talking about he who commands principalities and powers and angelic hosts in who all things exist and consist in Colossians chapter 1 through the hands of Jesus Christ. And we just kind of like throwing it up there. But again, we can't go too far. Because what does Jesus say? We need to have faith like one of these little ones. My children are the most irreverent people I know. I could be deep in study. I can be in, you know, I'm not always so um, spiritual, but every once in a while I got the worship music playing, you know, the real stuff. And I, I'm there and I, my eyes are closed. I'm sensing the Holy Spirit. I'm reading. I got the fourth century commentators and the 18th century commentators. And I, I've got Joe Foch. I mean, I'm really being spiritual. I'm really connecting. And here comes my little one. Dad, can you open this for me? Throws the crackers all over the place. And then they look at me and they say like, oh, are you studying? Will you tell me about Jesus? Is that moment not important to the Lord? But the instinct is to be like, get out of here. Do you know what you just, you just did? But that, that moment. What I'm getting at is that even the simplest worship song with the simplest lyrics that things that we would be like, oh, come on, can't we just have some more content here? If, if we are connecting to God reverently with hearts that are dedicated to him, it does not matter. You can sing Hillsong. You can sing uh, a f- fifth century hymn. You can read Luther's hymns. You can read, um, you can sing the Nicene Creed. It doesn't matter the content to a point. Obviously, we can't take that to an extreme. But if we have a reverent heart of access that is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and we're worshiping the true and living God, not a false God, not, not an idol, those simple lyrics are just as important. So let's be checking ourselves. Now, let's go back to the text. I think <clears throat> I took a little too much grace there. Here... The people of Israel are being challenged through this song. It is to be sung. And so they have the reading of the word. Remember in the last chapter, the reading of the the law was to be done publicly on occasion. But here now we also have it sung. So it's identifying with all kinds of different people. Now let's read verses 19 through 27. And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are perverse generation, for they are a perverse generation, excuse me, children in whom is no faith. Verse 21, they have provoked me to jealousy, but what by what is not God? They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation, for a fire is kindled in my anger. And shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her incense and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters on them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poisons of serpents of the dust. The sword shall destroy outside. 
There shall be terror within from the young man and virgin, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. I would have said, I will dash them to pieces. I will make the memory of them to cease from among men. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is high, and it is not the Lord who has done all this. And so you can see the anthropomorphism as the Lord begins to speak, what the Lord's going to do, how he's going to do it, and he says to hide his face from them. That's an anthropomorphism. That's a fancy word that means we are giving the invisible God human attributes for us to understand what is being said. The Lord cannot hide his face. He's the invisible God. So the anthropomorphism is he's showing us that the Lord is not happy. He is turning away. He is rejecting what is being done because they're not even worshiping him. They're worshiping idols. And so you have all these lists of judgments that will come upon the nation of Israel. And in the previous chapters, we saw that they're prophetic. God's telling them that is what is going to happen. But also great blessings were going to happen as well. You cannot escape from God. That's, this is an anthropomorphism so that we can understand in its context that God is not happy. You can sing the most traditional doctrinal song and he can turn his face away from you with the images that you are placing in your mind to lust after them while you're singing it. For example, you can sing the most simplest, mundane, critical song. Oh my gosh, are you going to say that 300 times in a row? But he is watching. He is listening. He is encouraged because it is saying with a heart that is dedicated to him and sanctified by his son. He can also see that simple, mundane, self-feeding song and see that it's just for our self-edification, trying to build ourselves up, just to, uh, just to entertain a crowd and turn his face away from that. The key is that we have to do things the way that God wants them done because he is God. And we, we forget that because especially in 21st century America, we are taught to be consumers. We are taught to be critics. And everything that we do, every meal that you eat, every movie you watch, every television show you have, every conversation, every business transaction, and then what do we do right after? Send you a review. What did you think about that? What did you think about that? You go to the, uh, I remember I was at a, the pastor's conference. I went to a restaurant there, and they had that, they, was, they just started coming out with that kiosk that you pay for the stuff right there. And, and the lady, she was like badgering me. Oh, can you leave a review? I get tips if I get a review. I get a good report if I get a review. My manager will be happy if I give you a review. And you're walking out. There she goes with the thing. Can you just leave a review, please? The problem is that we've come to God with the same thing. Oh, Lord, this prayer didn't work. I, I'm going to go find another prayer, one that works. Oh, this church doesn't work. It doesn't entertain me. It doesn't, I don't feel whatever it is in here. I don't like those people. They're mean to me. I don't like, they don't say hi the way I want them to say hi. And we see that self-feeding consumerist mentality to the point, especially those that have been walking with the Lord for a time, you become a critic of everything. 
When was the last time you produced anything? When was the last time you made an offering to God? When was the last time you wrote a poem or drew something or made an art form or prepared a study or made the sacrifice of praise of your lips or went out of your way to pray or to evangelize, to produce, to be used by God, to bring something that is going to be criticized instead of just sitting back and criticizing everything all the time? Well, here... At Calvary Chapel Low Country, we are not going to chase you down with the review form. I'm going to tell you a secret. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't care. Uh, again, this is not irreverent. I do want as many people as possible here. But the foundation is going to be we want people that are seeking after God. They want to have fellowship with God. They want to worship God. They want to hear from God. They want to talk to God. They want God to tell them what to do. And then they want to go out and do it. That is the focus. And we praise God that the Lord is continuing to add people that have that same heart. Here, back to the text, the Holy Spirit's riding through Moses so all of their children, their children's children, to all those that are afar off, as it said in the last chapter, sing this song and be reminded. As it says here, he's going to heap disaster on those that do not seek and serve him. And people have to make a decision. And we're going to come and we're going to talk about that decision and how important it is here in a little bit. But first, let's read a little bit more in verses 28 through 43. We're going to get a pretty big chunk here. For they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this that they would consider the latter end. How could one chase a thousand and put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them? And the Lord had surrendered them, for their rock is not like our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges, for their vine is of the vine of Sodom and their fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are the grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents. And the cruel venom of cobras. Verse 34. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees their power is gone and there is no one remaining bond or free, he will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise and help you and be your refuge. Verse 39. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, as, as I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall deliver devour flesh. With the blood of a slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. Verse 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with, this, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. 
He will provide atonement for his land and his people. So we, we read through a lot here, a lot of judgment, but then it gets flipped again. It's no longer on the failures and the mistakes of Israel and the judgment that will come upon them. It becomes now the judgment that will be on those that judged Israel. It will be those that persecuted. And that's why we need to teach the whole counsel of God, because most people don't know that Jesus is going to come back. And as it were, a sword is going to come out of his mouth and he is going to slay all of the non-believers that have come against him in rebellion in the Valley of Megiddo at the Battle of Armageddon. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, the blood is going to be up to the horse's bridle. That's from the Lord. No one else is doing any fighting. He is taking it all and he's done. It is over. The rape, the pillaging, the murders, the diseases, cancer, the warfare, the ripping people off, the starvation, while those are other people are, are obese. Every evil thing that is happening out there, he is going to put a stop to it. It is going to be over, and he is going to judge the world. And every martyr that was burned at the stake so that we could have the Bible in English is going to be, their vengeance is coming. And every Christian child that confessed Christ in the 11th century and was slain by Islamic hordes is going to be avenged. And every missionary that went to China in the 8th century, every Christian missionary, and there was a lot in the Oriental Church if you study history, they will be avenged. And all of the blood of all of the martyrs is going to be avenged. And there will be punishment for every sin. But our salvation is through Jesus Christ, not through our works. He gave himself. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will be spared that judgment. Will be spared that judgment. But they say, well, that we want more ways to go to heaven. There is one way, and he is God. That's the point here. There is one way, nation of Israel, one way. Seek after God. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want to. I want to have choice. I want to be a spiritual connoisseur. I'd like, I'd like all religions to be good. I'd like all of us to be happy and every good person to go to heaven. No good person goes to heaven because no one is good. No, not one, the Bible says. No man seeks after God. Only saved People covered in the blood of Jesus Christ are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Yeah, but I, I don't like that. I just, just read this text on what he is willing to do. He is the Lord. And so I love what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says. You know, he said, grace is not cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap. And so we abuse that grace. We just come in and we just sing our song. And we're thinking about cheeseburgers and we're just, we're just thinking about the rest of our day and then we're you know thinking oh he's really out of tune today and oh mike there he goes talking about history i'm so sick of history all the time and then we go about our day and yes you are saved by grace and you're saved and you, and you don't have to be an intense worshiper you don't but when you realize who god is and you realize what you are saved from you can't help but fall more in love with the lord and ask for more of him and more of his presence Yes, grace and love, the agape love of God, needs to be taught, and it needs to be sung about, even simply. But there's so much more. There's the judgment and the righteousness and the holiness of God. 
that his ways are above our ways, beyond our finding out. He is greater than we could possibly imagine or think. He is more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Our brain doesn't have the machinery to even comprehend his thoughts. And yes, he does love you. And he did sacrifice himself for you. And that is a God worth worshiping. And, and that is a God we want to know. That is a God we want to follow. We want more of him and less of us. Well, Moses is going to finish up his song. Excuse me. He does finish up his song here. And who does he say? Rejoice, O Gentile, with his people. That's a bit prophetic, isn't it? Because the nation of Israel has been called to stay away from the general. You can't marry the Gentiles. You can't be a part of the Gentiles. Because we knew that the Lord was going to bring us in. And he avenges. So now, closing out, verses 44 through 52. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of Abram, Abram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across the Jericho, across from Jericho, view the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor, that was gathered to his people, because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel, you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. Set your hearts on the words which I testify among you today as Moses' cry out to the people. And notice whose job is it to train the kids? It doesn't say bring your kids to the Levites so they can learn. Bring your kids to the temple so they can be taught. Bring them, we're going to have a communal gathering place and we'll put some teachers there and they will teach them. No, your job as parents, grandparents, neighbors, brothers and sisters in Christ, it is your job to teach your children the word of God. It is your job to teach them to worship, to teach them to have a reverence for God. And as we said on Sunday, they will see it in your life and then you need to come alongside and teach them. Now, we want to do all these things because one day you are going to have this same experience that Moses. And now Moses is a little bit different in that, Mo- that God literally tells him, climb up that uh, mountain, lay down, you're going to die. Now, no man knows the day or the hour. But each one of us has a date when you will have to experience this. It is appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. Now, our judgment is on Jesus Christ. He took that for us. But I talked about how we have a 21st century consumerist mentality. Well, that consumerist mentality has completely removed death from our eyes. We see more fake death on TV than we do. You don't see your food being slaughtered. You don't see the backbreaking labor. You just go and it's saran wrap there. 
in the grocery store for you. We cart our people off, our family members off to homes for them to be taken care of by others. We put them in hospitals, life and death and sickness. We try and be completely separated from it so that we begin to think that death is what you see on TV. You have a nice, beautiful conversation and then they close their eyes peacefully and then someone rubs on, oh, you have a little, oh, and then put a little, that's fake. That's not real. That's faker than romance on TV. All of that stuff is fake. When you go hunting and you take an animal, when you go to the butcher shop and you see what happens to them and they take poor Fluffy in there and then Fluffy is murdered so that we can eat. When you hold the hand of someone that is dying of cancer and they go through a death shake, or you, you are with someone that has been in a horrible accident. The Lord is there. And every person has to be ready because one day you will be face to face with the Lord because you will step through death. I don't tell this to scare you, panic you. I to encourage you. The whole purpose of this book is so that man could be redeemed to his God and could live forever in paradise with him and avoid eternal damnation in hell. That's the whole point. God made a creation for his own goodwill and pleasure. That creation fell and he made a way to restore it so that when we die with full assurance, we can stand before him. Is that not a God worth worshiping? Is that not a message worth taking to the world? To believe on the Lord? Too many people, they don't know it, whether it's intentional or unintentional. They're just inviting people to church so that they can be entertained when they need to have a relationship with God so that we can all walk up the mountain and then take a look afar off across the Jordan and say, one life will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. And the decisions that we make, whether they in this life led to judgment or cursings or blessings, it's all going to go away. And I have been with people when they die. And I can tell you right now, not a single person I've been with has ever cared about their career, ever. They didn't care about their cars, their houses, how many times they went to Disney World. They didn't care. They were no longer criticizing the worship uh, songs. They didn't care about the churches they went to. It was the people and the relationship with God. All they ever talk about ever is caring for their loved ones, reconciling with people they didn't reconcile with, and am I ready to meet God right now? That's, that's it. Are you? Are you ready to have that conversation? The way that we were created, it used to be in the world that every time we had a life or a death or a burial or food or even sacrifice to bring for God, we were reminded. But we've completely isolated ourselves. My prayer for you this evening is that when you go home today, you don't just go sit on your couch and turn your television on. Go sit there on your phone. But you think of a way to not be a consumer, but a producer. Lord, what can I give back to you freely? You, you want nothing. But in light of who you are, in light of who you are and what you've done for me, what can I, what can I give back? Let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for this song. We thank you for the life of Moses and Lord, I pray that you direct us in the next few chapters as 
it's explained to us exactly how he died and exactly how Joshua takes over. And we pray that we would learn from it and that we would learn these lessons and that we would grow deeper in our reverence for you, in our relationship with you, in the gifts that you've given us, Lord. And that we would pour it all back out to you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was going to have uh, a little something different this evening. We went late, so we're not going to have our intercessory prayer that we usually do. And next week, so next Sunday, uh, or next Sunday, I'm sorry, next Wednesday night, instead of prayer, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about um, the ministry, the church, opportunities to serve. I'm going to do a little question and answer. I know there's a lot of people with a lot of questions. How we do things here? How do you serve? Um, and the reason for that is this. You know, the, the church used to be small enough that I could just have this conversation while we drank coffee. But the church is getting bigger. And we, I still want to communicate it the same way. I don't want to pack it. I don't want like a, a list of things. I want to have a conversation. And so we're going to talk about what we're looking for when we look for servants, why we don't just put rosters out there for needs in the church. Um, I'm going to answer some questions. So that'll be next Wednesday night, if the Lord wills. And so I invite anybody that you know that's interested in that. We'll try and dedicate a little bit of extra time for it as well. If you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. Make sure I believe the prayer meeting tomorrow is canceled or on. Good to go. Prayer meeting tomorrow. Be here. Um, a couple people are going to be missing because they're in uh, serving somewhere else. That means that's a perfect time for you to fill in the gap. Like the book of Nehemiah, you need to be able to build that wall and stand in the gap. If you were at the men's conference, you, you heard that one. Um, you can prove that one on tomorrow night. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.